City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Special edition of the All Hornets Podcast Network. We're going to dub this one, Tim, Inside the Heartbreak. This is a hybrid podcast with myself, James Plarite, and joining me from Hornets and Heartbreak, Tim Rogers. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, James. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing great. And I thought Inside the Heartbreak is a nice little you know joint title from both of our pods. And it's also kind of how I feel after watching this Hornets Summer League t- team for a fourth time. Um, <laughs> who, you know, we thought them playing in the California Classic and Vegas, everyone's like, this is going to be so fun. We're going to get to watch so many more Summer League games. How are you feeling after watching your fourth Summer League game? Ah, yeah. Um, the, the California Classic definitely went from a blessing to a curse. Uh, next two games, don't know if we uh, need that. And the team doesn't exactly look to be getting any better. No. Uh, the, the, we were recording this after the Hornets lost 93-75 to the LA Lakers, actually winning at halftime uh, and remarkably managed to, to fall into a pretty much a 20-point deficit there in the second half. Um, <laughs> so we're going to touch on some of the players, what we've seen. Uh, we're all also going to touch on then PJ Washington saga, the ongoing saga, uh, which is still yet to be resolved. And also just share our quick thoughts on the NBA Cup or the in-season tournament, which got announced the full details yesterday. So, Tim, I'm going to hand it over to you. Where do you want to start with this game? Uh, you, can, you can go positive, you can go negative, you can just... Give us anything that stood out to you. Um, all right. Well, I hate to start on a negative note, but uh, just my nature. Um, with, you know, removing draft position, did Brandon Miller look like the best player on the court in any game so far this season? Uh, no. No, he did not. Um, I, I thought he had a very good game against the Spurs. I thought that was probably his best game. Uh, but best player on the sport on the floor, probably probably not. I, I thought Jalen Hutchinson was the best player on the floor tonight. Probably followed by Colin Castleton for the Lakers, who who went undrafted uh, this year. And yeah, this was definitely I would say Brandon Miller's worst game of of the summer league so far. Um, would would you agree with that? Uh, I would, I would agree. And it wasn't, you know, just shooting. Uh, defense has gotten better. Uh, I've really noticed he plays with his hands so much. Yeah, But fouls. it's, fouls, yeah, it's not even like a physical, like, you know, semi-hand checking. It's just, you know, instead of moving his feet, just kind of swiping. Uh, the shot, pretty much everything, I would say, was either to the left or short today. So I don't know how much of that we can chalk up to Mono at this point. Well... Mono, a combination of, I don't know how long these guys now, probably like 10 days or so, they've been in like a training camp, flying around, practicing, playing games. Um, I mean, either way, it's not like it's been an NBA schedule. Don't get me wrong. You know, if he's tired after this, then he's going to have to shock in the season. But I I do think he looked tired tonight. I I think the shot seems short a lot. Um, And I, I don't know if it's mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion, um, who like no one can know how much Mono is affecting or his recovery from Mono is affecting his conditioning. We know it affected him at the draft combine. That was back in what early June, something like that. Um, so is that affecting a month on? Probably to some extent, but how much? Um, who knows? But yeah, it was it was a rough go tonight. I think Brandon Miller he was zero for seven from three, four of eighteen from the field. 
It did get did get a couple of bit more kind of going like the floater mid-range. I think you had two floaters tonight, which isn't something we really saw attempted too much in the first couple of games. And I think him looking to score in that mid-range area was was definitely a positive. He he still had eight rebounds, four assists. Um, but I, I agree, like it was still like reaching him with his hands. He he got really done by a backdoor cut off a screen that uh, Colin Castleton passed to his cutter, which, you know, he was just slow on that. He then got blown by by Max Christie on a separate occasion. So I was, I think the defense was definitely a step down tonight after it being, I thought, actually exceptional against the Spurs. I really did thought he had a really good defensive game. But yeah, definitely, definitely a struggle. Um, you know, they said on the broadcast, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant were like 4 of 15, 4 of 17 in Summer League to try, you know, you know, when you're getting that, like the old story where it's, oh, well, you know, in the NBA, he's going to be playing with proper players. You know, when someone's <laughs> telling that story, then your player's really struggling, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking forward to like year seven to Brandon Miller. And then you're like, well, you know, he did, uh, he did uh, hurt his hamstring, right? For that SEC tournament. He's still coming back from that mono. <laughs> like, we'll eventually shoot above 30% from the fields. Uh, obviously, that is an exaggeration. I agree with what you said about the defense. Um to get taken advantage of today after, you know, pretty solid showing. I do, I do like the rebounding and the passing, especially the passing in the, um, I'm blinking on the game. The second game, the second game, California classic. Yes. Yes. Warriors. Yeah. When they were doubling him all the time, you think he had like six, seven assists in the end, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, some high level passes. I've liked the, uh, the passing and the rebounding, but you know, it's what I always joke about with James Booknight. It's like, that's the one takeaway of book nine. I'm always like, wow, he's a really good defensive rebounder, but that's obviously not what you want from a three level score lottery pick. No. And something else that stood out to me tonight. Um, you saw his jump shot get blocked again, which it got blocked by Wemby and that's like, okay, right. Wemby is a freak of a human being. He's probably going to block a lot of jump shots, but he does have a relatively low release. He kind of like releases it from his chest area and we saw that again tonight. And there's been a couple of times where you think he's open from three and he doesn't pull the trigger. And I, I do wonder now if he's beginning to like second guess himself a little bit when they kind of like, when someone goes under on a screen, you think you can just pull the trigger really quickly. But I do wonder if he's getting a little bit intimidated by some of these closeouts and his, his low release. So that's something that people said pre-draft, which was a concern. You know, he never had a super high release for a six, nine guy. He probably shoots at almost more like a six, five guy because of where that release is. So that was, a concern and then he's been playing the four a lot he didn't do it as much tonight but when he did i think this just reaffirms that he is multiple years away from playing the four uh, whenever whenever kai jones went over to like help the guy driving you think okay this is where brandon miller is going to come in and rebound the ball and there's just a few times tonight that he was just getting bullied by cole swider and colin castleton and he just doesn't look like a guy who can get down there and really help the center from a rebounding point of view. So a, a couple of things that I think flash tonight is weaknesses uh, that the, I know the rebounding numbers look fine, but just like the physical controlling of the paint as a, as a weak side help defender just is not there yet. Yeah. It seems like what, you know, if he's tagged as man for a box out has trouble getting elevation, if he's kind of just flying in, I've noticed he can get up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, summer league is not the place for this. But uh, what have you thought about his off-ball movement on offense? Um, there hasn't been a great deal. He comes <laughs> off basically. They set a screen for him down on the wing, and then he comes off and he gets the ball, and that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> you've not seen him like really cutting at all. 
uh, he's not really been able to create separation running through and around screens. I think that's, again, this is hard to know. I think it's a little bit coaching, but I also think it's just he's not got that knack. I think he's been used to playing with the ball. And I actually kind of wish they would put the ball in his hands a little bit more and almost let him run the point because I think he's probably the best passer on the roster. And I don't even know if it's particularly close. Um, that's maybe what I would want to see more is give Brandon Miller the ball, come up and set a screen and go from there rather than having James Knight, Nick Smith, you know, start. I'd rather have those guys kind of running off ball and Miller passing to them. Uh, because, yeah, I agree. He's not necessarily been creating space for himself, moving off ball at all. Yeah, I, um, I agree with what you said. And going back to the jump shot, uh, do you think that's something that is that he can work on as far as getting the release higher? Or do you think that, you mm. know, we'll just we'll see after one season? I definitely think see after one season. I don't think you go in and change your entire mechanics, you know, just ahead of your rookie year. You, you focus on what's got you to where you're, where you're at. And then if maybe if, if that doesn't work, you know, if it comes off the season shooting 25%, then, okay, maybe that's when the shooting coach goes, hey, look, let's uh, let's look at this a little bit, Brandon. You obviously got touch, but we need to modernize this, the NBA, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's unlikely just because of, like, he is a great shooter. And I will maintain, I don't care. I don't even know what a shooting point percentage is for some league. There's no point looking at it. But I maintain that he will be a very good shooter. I just think a little bit of nerves, a little bit of reps. Um, I think all those are the things affecting him in the minute. I agree with that. And uh, I think this just goes back to the Paul George comparisons from pre-draft. And uh, this, this sounds a little inflammatory. Don't truly believe it. But um, I feel like his jump shot looks closer to Draymond Green's than Paul George's. Aesthetically, not result-wise, just aesthetics. It's a, a chest push shot. Is it, well, well, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, PG shoots it from kind of like a high release. From from where the ball is released, I, I get what you mean. Uh, yeah, obviously, we, we, I, we don't need to go through all the details about how he's a much better shooter than Draymond Green. Yes. But I do, I do know what you mean with, that, with those mechanics. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Next guy. Um, Tim, when did Bryce McGowan's just become a guy who basically like attacks downhill and can't shoot? Do we remember last summer league when he hit like five threes in his first game and that like that was like his thing that stood out? And now it seems like he's, I don't know, like Sacramento Kings Gerald Wallace, where all he does is drive. And and it like he does get downhill and gets fouled, and it is it is useful, but he almost seems like one dimensional now. It's just like, can I bulldoze my way to the rim? And if he's not doing that, I think he hit one three tonight. That might be his first three of summer league. Like he's really struggled to shoot the ball, struggled to just kind of create off the bounce in the mid range at all. It's just been attack, attack, attack. And I just want to see a little bit more of like a diverse offensive game from Bryce McGowan's. Is, is that unfair to say? No, it's not unfair to say at all. I had the exact same thought where I was like going back and, checking tape and checking box score from last year uh yeah because i don't really recognize this player uh yeah the one three that he did make tonight corner three wide open um yeah i don't i don't know i don't i don't really like the tunnel vision drives between no. him and uh and bailey yeah i i agree there is and, and a team where we this this team needs to move the ball and the coach has preached that now for basically the last week after every single game saying like they don't get good shots very, very rarely. They don't generate, like everyone talks about how they're not shooting the ball well from three. And it's like, yeah, well, look at the quality of the looks they're getting. Like Nick Smith, James Booknight, 28 foot step backs. 
they are they're, they're not generating all these open looks that you see these other teams getting all this time to set and yeah, I, I think they have said to Bryce McGowan's, like Steve Clifford has said, he wants him to get downhill, he's breast when he's driving. But I, I wonder if maybe they've just kind of put him in too much of a straitjacket box of what your role is. And I just want to see, yeah, some diversification of what he can do on offense in his skill set. And he's not passing the ball as well either as he was in Greensboro, where he was averaging like four or five assists. And on the Summer League team, it's like he's been told his role is just to drive to the rim. And... I was just hoping for a little bit more. Like I, I thought he really showed some stuff towards in the G League last season, towards the end of last regular season. I, I'd maybe say he's been, because his expectations were higher than maybe some of the other players on the roster, I have to say I've been a little bit disappointed. He's just been one-dimensional. Yeah, I agree. Where uh, Before Summer League, uh, you know, obviously a lot has to be done for we can, you know, truly predict a rotation. I mean, where'd you have him penciled in? probably on the outside looking in like probably mm-hmm. like somewheres that back up two, three, like behind Cody Martin behind Gordon Hayward and Brandon Miller is like that kind of next wing behind that group. Uh, and obviously Terry Rozier. Um, and I, I, I think he probably had a chance here. Like, you know, you could take the Cody Martin minutes. You could, I don't know if, don't know what the plan is with Gordon Hayward and Brandon Miller, but there could be potential to, to compete for minutes from either of those two. But, I've not seen anything here that suggests, and this is just some league. And you know, Nick Richards didn't look great before his breakout year, and all the other, you know, things that you can say about it's only summer league. But this still does matter, folks. Like James Booknight and Kai Jones weren't great in summer league year one. Like shock, they weren't ready for the NBA that year either, and they still <laughs> didn't look ready for the NBA. Now we're going to come on to them, but the guys who are clearly ready, it it does matter. I, I, I think there's like there's people going too much both ways. And I think there's a middle zone where it's like, yeah, if you're really struggling in some league, that is a red flag. I I completely agree. Just because, you know, every every game that, uh, that you watch, because I actually think that the quality of summer league this year has been higher than the past uh, for the most part. Found it pretty enjoyable. Like every team has that one guy where you're like, oh, man, he had 21 points on 7 to 12 shooting. That's cool. And the Hornets just have not had any semblance of that guy. Yeah. Who do you want to go into next? Um, do you want to just tag team the Kai Jones book night or we can separate them back? Cause I think Kai Jones has been better, but low, bo- <laughs> low bar. What are you, what are you separating them with? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's true. Probably a plane ticket to Europe. Um, hey, let's, let's do Kai. Let's do Kai. Um, I'm going to ask you, who's the better player right now? James Najee or Kai Jones? James Najee. Is it close? In my eyes, no. I, I don't think it is either. And I've been I've been the guy for years now saying that Kai Jones is a project. You need to be patient. You can't get impatient halfway through his rookie contract. Uh, James Nagy is 18 years. They are the inverse of each other, right? James Nagy is 18 years old, like built thick, plays his role, knows exactly what he needs to do to play well in the game, does all the little things, screens well, like slides to the ball. Kai Jones is older, but is like nowhere near as built fouls absolutely every living thing there is uh, and still takes these like turnaround jump shots from time to time and doesn't pass the ball out and has a processing speed, which is so slow. And if you were to like flip them over and say Kai Jones was the 18 year old from Barcelona, you'd be like, yeah, this makes sense. He's the, (laughs) he's the raw one who just needs to develop, but it's completely the other way around. I think James Nagy is light years ahead of Kai Jones as a player. And I don't care what the box scores say. 
I think in this game, it's probably, I think James Nardi was the best player today and he finished with, what was it? Four points, six rebounds and two blocks, which yeah. says a lot about this game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Kai Jones for me, just, he cannot guard. Not, not man, his individual defense, if he's not following is actually okay. But his team defense, his ability to communicate with the guard, to slide, to cut off any angles to the rim, to, he overcommits. He just can't play the gap. You watch James Nagy James play. He plays like the cat and mouse gap game between the guard and the big so well. Like better than a lot of NBA bigs, actually. And I just like, you can look at this today and go, well, Kai hit a three. That's good. Um, I, I, for me, this is just like, I have to say, this is just absolute red flags. He has not got better. He does not look like he's progressed at all. And I think he looks worse than maybe the last two summer leagues this season. <laughs> I'm glad we're not alone on that. I was afraid I was being hyperbolic in my thoughts. No, you're not. This is 100% true. Yeah, for a guy with such athleticism, uh, it is. you could teach like a master class on just being a half second late to every rotation. I mean, there had to have been eight shots tonight where he was just half second late, ended up being a layup, ended up being a layup. Um, I think you put it together he's been pretty poor rebounding other than uh the spurs game yeah i don't know i mean obviously you know we're not giving up on him um we'll be no, curious you know about what, this. Tim? stop stop the podcast i actually am i'm, I'm giving <laughs> up on him right now um and this this is something that i've been thinking about I, c- I could wait till the end of summer league but i'm i'm sorry for if you've not made a res- any progress since year one i, I can't see anything to the jump shot looks worse. He's he's kind of attacks the rim less. I think plays with less confidence. He's not rebounding the ball well. He's still making slow decisions, fumbles passes, reaches and fouls. If, if you don't make any progress in all this time, then for me, I, I've just lost faith because I, I, I don't expect Kai to be like NBA rotation player ready, but I expect to see incremental steps. And he's still doing things like you can add these things up to the game where he, you know, drives out of control to the rim, where he does these silly fouls, where he's taking these turnaround jump shots, where you can see the coaches looking at each other going, what, what is he doing? What is he thinking here? <laughs> and if you're still doing those, that just shows to me that you're not learning, you're not adapting. And if you're not doing that, he needs to be making major strides every single month just to be an NBA player. And I don't see it. And I'm not normally one to overreact to stuff like this. But watching possession after possession of just this team getting roasted, and we can include the Spurs game. I know he played better, and I know he had the huge dunk, but let's not pretend before that huge dunk on Wemby that he was having another terrible game in that as well. Like, just scratching head decision-making, and it's, it's all mental. Again, similar to James Booknight, we'll move on. The decision-making and defensive IQ of what to do, where to position yourself, is just so far off NBA caliber. I just don't have the faith that he can make up the gap now. I do. So I'm out. Oh, I love it. I love this coming from you. Um, no, because I, I completely agree. Like when it's time for him to get him positioned, even like for a DHO dribble handoff, if it's like 14 seconds left on the shot clock, the possession is dead because you know it's going to take yeah. him six seconds to find out where to go. I mean, is yeah. there anything other than, I guess, put back dunks? Is there anything you would say that he does even like at an average NBA level? Um, I actually think he's a good switch defender, but they never do it. 
so you you rarely see it. Like if you you see him guard the ball at times, he gets really low into stance. He has like active hands, and you've seen it probably a few times this summer league and in the season where he can have active hands and poke the ball away from like a ball handler. But they don't play him that way. They play him in drop. I, I have to. I don't think this Hornet system suits him because they play him in drop coverage, which to me takes away his strength of like guarding on the ball and switching. And coming out of Texas, the idea was is that this is a guy who's like an uber athlete, can run the floor, and he can shoot. And they've never allowed him to shoot. Now, I don't necessarily blame them because the shot looks pretty terrible. But if you told me coming out of Texas, well, we never want this guy to ever try shooting again when he gets in the, once he gets in the Hornets uniform, I'd have dropped him 15 spots further down my draft board <laughs> because that was the whole sell, was that he could stretch the floor and he can do all this stuff. Like, he has potential in that. But they've just blatantly given up on that. And they're like, can we just focus on the little stuff first? And... He just can't do what like the meat and potatoes, which is what James Najee is just great at. Yeah, so with Najee, you know, I'll tell him myself, I was not watching a ton of Barcelona ball last year. And, uh, you know, so just caught up through, uh, you know, some of the, the draft videos, which, uh, great, I knew you had a Adam Spinarilla on, that was awesome. Um, but I watched it and I was texting, texting friend, I was like, man, like, you know, these highlights are amazing. Measurables are fantastic. Like, he must really just not know how to play basketball. And, you know, as soon as he uh, started getting run, once the contract's figured out, uh, yeah, really been fantastic. Pretty excited to, uh, you know, obviously not significant minutes coming up next season, I would assume. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not as much of a project as I would have expected. No. And it's interesting because his skill set, I think, is behind his brain. Like, I think he actually understands and reads the game pretty well, James Nagy, especially in the defensive end. I think he's actually got, like, exceptional basketball IQ. It's just he can't dribble. He, like, can't – barely hits a free throw. Um, and, like, his skill set is just behind his mind. And you that's the kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, but he's got that base understanding. And he can do all those little things. I mean, at the minute, Kai Jones has been in the system for, what, two and a half years now. He knows all the terminology. He knows all the coaches. He's played with all these players. James Nagy has just flown over from Spain on a flight. Like, it's his second language – He's never met or played with anybody and he looks better than Kai Jones. That you know, this is it's exciting for James Najee. I, I really do. Like if the Hornets wanted to have the best 15-man roster to win games next season on their roster, I would give James Najee a contract and I would let Kai Jones go. Now, they might not do that because like I think it's probably best for Najee. I think there's actually a chance that he could maybe even start in Barcelona next year, I've heard. And I think it's probably better for him to get reps at that high level in that league. He's probably going to be out of the bench unless there's uh, out of the rotation, unless there's an injury in Charlotte. So I don't think they would do that. Uh, but I'm pretty excited about James Nagy um, once he's been able to get a little bit more familiar with things here. Um, I thought by far, just doing all the little things that don't show up on the stat sheet. He had two massive plays where uh, Colin Castleton, who had Kai Jones just for lunch all game <laughs> night. Uh, Colin Castleton twice tried to isolate against James Najee. And both times, Najee slid with him, didn't fall for any of the fakes, and got up and blocked Castleton's shot twice. And he only got, tried it like two or three times. And straight away, Castleton was like, yeah, I can't score in this guy after those two plays. And, that's, you know, Kai was struggling with it all night after that. Um, so I just love his massive screens that he sets, how he guards space. He stays down, he moves his feet, he can get up and block shots. Um, I just think he's a really smart player. And I, I really do. I see a lot of Mitchell Robinson 
there, um, which was like his upside comp before the, the draft. The question is like, there's a lot of guys you probably can't, don't have any offensive skill who get comp to Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> but I, I do see some of it there. I have to say, uh, you know, the physical dominance, if he looks like this at 18, what's he going to look like at 22? It's going to be, it's going to be a super intriguing guy for the Hornets to track here, either in Charlotte, Greensboro, or in Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice. Um, it almost, you would think that Kai Jones like wasn't allowed to talk on defense. And then Najee comes in and you see he's pointing to everyone where to go, actually set things up. You know, it's not perfect, but it is somewhat of a system. Yeah, I mean, Kai Jones, another thing I noticed in this game, I feel like he boxes out his own teammates more for rebounds than the opposing team. Like he's just trying to get those easy defensive rebounds. And yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about Najee. Um, we really went from having no centers to uh, now we're like, oh man, I guess Nick Richards is going to play over him. Uh, and as far as Kai Jones trade value goes, seems like someone the Pistons would love to have since they just get every raw project big man in the NBA. Absolutely. Throw him in there. Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, Jalen Duran, throw them all in. Um, let's do book night. Um, James Bucknight in the Lakers game, he finished with 10 points, six rebounds, two assists, four of 14, two of eight from three. Uh, Tim, was this his best game of Summer League? That's a low bar, yeah. I mean, considering he didn't even score in the second half. But yeah, just pretty much by default. It, it's, been a, it's been a tough ride for Buck. Um, let's see, what do I have my notes on Bucknight in this game? Um I thought he had one possession where he just did, he looked like an NBA player. He drove, he kicked. He then, after he'd driven and passed the ball out, he kept running, relocated to the corner, got a corner three. Nick Smith gave it him, made the shot. And I was like, that's what, that's what Buck Knight needs to do so much more. Drive, kick, relocate. That's what all these combo efficient scoring guards do. And then I was writing, as I was typing my notes, the even the commentator, Seth Greenberg, I think was talking about how how um, what was he saying? That shot quality and shot choice decision making is so important for James Bucknight. And as he said that, James Bucknight dribbled up the floor in a half court setting and then just threw up a twenty nine foot transition three. <laughs> as he was saying this, and like Seth Greenberg didn't even flinch in his stride of making this point. And I was like, you should have just stopped right there and been like, yeah, that's the example of what he doesn't need to do. <laughs> um, he makes. He does that so often and it doesn't go in. It's just hard for like the team to ever be a positive when you're such a high usage guy and you score so inefficiently. Yeah, that's funny. I had that exact same uh, sequence written <laughs> down. He also, yeah, he had another one similar in the uh, first quarter where it's like, okay, you know, took a good shot, knocked it down. And then um, just three possessions in a row, just pretty much gave the ball to the other team. Frustrating. You can, you can see why he's never gotten minutes. And the jump shot is just not good. I mean, at this point, we can officially say that. We have a large enough sample size. He was bad uh, his sophomore year of college. And yeah, he, you know, he just always is leaning. The shots aren't close. Like, these aren't like rim outs. It's always just clank, clank, clank. Kind of just started to feel bad for him at a certain point. I, I agree. I feel bad for him. Um, it's tough to watch because you can see that he's desperate to get it going. But it's just not there, and you know there was a position, there was a possession where he was like on a fast break. It, you know how you talk about players sometimes. It's like yeah, it just always makes the right play. That's like <laughs> the opposite of James Booknight. Uh, there was a position transition. He was like a two, three, and one, and he just drove to the rim himself when he could have passed it off to like Brandon Miller to someone else. Drove it, uh, uh, drove it himself, missed the layup, 
But then after that, because two people have run down the court with him, like screaming for the ball, like they're also out of position now. So Buck Knight's missed. He's under the basket, under the stanchion going, you know, oh, I didn't get a foul call. These other two guys run up because they thought they were going to get the ball from Buck Knight. Lakers go back down the other end. It's then like a four on two fast break and they just hit a three. And it was like, all, all from your poor offensive decision-making, you then put your team in a bad defensive situation because the floor is poorly weighted, poorly distributed with players because of your single bad decision there. Just has to make the right play more often. And uh, like at this point, when he's whatever his age is now, 22, 23, ah, what, what odds are there? Do you think both Kai Jones and James Booknight's contracts get picked up for, for the fourth-year option? which has to be made, I think, before September, October. Um, no, I, I do not think they do. I think it's really going to go down as kind of the inflection point of the Cupcheck era. Just whiffing on that stacked draft and coming away with nothing where JT Thor is the best player from that draft, that's going to be a defining point of you know LaMelo's career when they talk about, oh, man, the Hornets, they just don't have the horses. It's that draft. Pretty much every player picked in between them was awesome. Yeah, Buck was it was another. I, I did think early on he had it going in this Lakers game, and I thought, oh, is maybe this the Buck breakout game? You know, twenty eight points, good efficiency. You go, oh, finally gets it going, and then like you say, just disappearing at in the second half. Uh, literally didn't score another point. Um, it was it was a struggle. Yeah, and I normally not a not a big uh, body language guy. Just really all time awful body language. Um, I've talked about this a number of times and people seem to hate when I do. So I'm just going to let you talk about Book Knight's <laughs> awful body language because uh, apparently I'm too harsh. He does. I mean, he just, I'm, like, I'm not saying he doesn't care. Clearly he cares, you know, I mean, yeah. he's, but, you know, for someone who's playing for, like, their basketball life here, uh, no sense of urgency. I mean, I feel bad for him, but, you know, his handle's never tightened up. He can't really drive by anyone, so he just relies on these you know, lazy ISO threes. And I've been thinking about these guys a lot with the Dame Lillard discussion, you know, mainly around the, like, is Tyler Harrow a winning player? Jordan Poole just got traded. All these combo guards, Anthony Simons. Um, and I, I'm actually more on the side that I think the combo guards are underrated in the NBA. Uh, you know, I get that scoring is not everything and that can be overblown. But I think the pendulum swung a little too far towards treating Tyler Harrow as like, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon is not better than Tyler Hero. Um, situation like that. And then I watch Book Night and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe combo guards just do suck. He's almost like tainted an entire archetype for me. Well, speaking of combo guards, Nick Smith Jr. <laughs> um, probably like one of his lower usage games tonight. 11 points, two assists, three of 10, three of seven from three. Um, anything stick out from Nick Smith this game? Uh, only finished with two assists, but I thought it was his best passing game of Summer League. I thought he was, I mean, he wasn't playing fully like a point guard, but it was the closest we've gotten in these four games. Yeah, I think what you will say, you, we talk about like Kai Jones not really making progress with the decision making. I think Nick Smith from game one, the coaching staff said, Nick, too many shots. Okay, you, you're taking too many shots here. You need to get us into our stuff. You need to facilitate. And you can see Nick Smith has definitely reined it back a little bit here. And like some of the, he still took 10 shots, but like a lot of those were towards the end of the shot clock, right? I better get something up here to give us a chance. And he actually went three of seven tonight from three, which 
like so far, he's shown more of a appetite as a mid-range long two scorer, and he's been looked a little bit more comfortable than there than he did from three. So he managed to get the three ball going a bit. But I, I kind of think I know what Nick Smith is a player. Like if he shoots and he's making shots on that night for you, he's probably going to help you. And if he doesn't, he's probably going to hurt you. And I, I struggle to see at the minute him being as impactful as a passer or a defender other than that pretty much to sum him up. Is he making shots or not? And will he do that at an NBA level? Not efficiently right now, but he could do. Like he has flashes, I think, on ball as a, as a scorer that he could be a really interesting offensive guy off the bench. But for me, that's what the ceiling is. Do you disagree with that? No, I completely agree. Um, I do I do like the uh, the size for kind of like the off-bench combo guards. I like his game. And uh, I wonder with the threes, you know, because obviously he was, he was kind of getting dinged up the first three games with taking just like 21-footers. Uh, do you think it's like a strength issue or do you think it's a decision-making issue? I, I, I think it's a probably linked to strength. I just think he's more comfortable shooting mid-range shots than he is shooting that full three. Um, so whether that's strength, whether that's just familiarity, I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing just probably because of his build, because he's quite like thin frame, it, it could be a little bit of lack of core strength and you struggle to get that lift. Um, I, I also think, I think he likes shooting the ball off the dribble more than off the catch. That's one thing I've noticed. Like he definitely likes, and some guys are just like that. Like Steph Curry, arguably at times, people said he prefers shooting the ball off the dribble. You prefer to kind of have the ball in control and be centered and, and you can control exactly when you get the ball and what type of grip you have on it. So um, I definitely think that could be something with Nick that, and you generally get that more in the mid range, like walking into the three is like, you have to normally have quite a reputation to be able to just like walk into a three from top of the arc and being a point guard. You need to be like, Lamelo does that because he's excellent at it. But if you're not excellent at it, it can look really bad because you're not really kind of, progressing the rest of the position and seeing what other shots are out there. So yeah, I, I think it's probably linked to strength. Like that. Um, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, he's, he's not going to get any playing time this year, barring injury. Is that kind of where you have him marked? Oh yeah. 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 He'll be a, a good Greensboro guy. There's, there's something there. Like he's got a natural feel for how to score, which is enough. That, and like, like say six, five, like tries to play on defense, like is a good teammate. You talk about a positive body language guy. I think that's Nick Smith, like talking, like always pointing, speaking with teammates. I think he's got enough going for him that I think there is something there. I just don't know how high the ceiling is. People talking like the number one high school recruit. I, for me, just nowhere near that kind of guy just with his like, I, I don't think he's made really one proper layup yet. They've all been like floaters around the rim, struggles to get to the rim at all. So it's going to be, what can he do from 15 to basically 24 foot. And if he's making shots to you, great. If not, he's probably going to hurt you that night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just so little room for error in that game. Uh, yeah. When his, you know, uh, was it Eric Musserman uh, came on yep. his college coach and uh, I had to like mute it. Cause I was like, hey, you're kind of talking me into it. You know, the coach propaganda with, Oh, he's always first in last out. And, you know, I wish him, I wish him all the best. Um, I mean, would you say he's played he's played better than Book Knight this summer league? Uh, I would say so. Just, but I would say that Book Knight's tried to inherit that third year role, where it's like I'm the leader of this team, I'm the guy you go to to get a bucket. So I think Book Knight's played a harder role. 
Um, but I would probably say Nick Smith Jr. has played better because he's looked a little bit more under control, played in more of a role that you can maybe picture him playing for an NBA team, right? Okay, you know, pass the ball around, I'll make some shots. Whereas Buck Knight's tried to be the number one option and, and really struggled with it efficiently. So I, I'd probably give the edge to Nick. I think he's probably been better defensively too. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And not to bring up other uh, draft night catastrophes, um, but trading the 13th pick in the draft for what turned out to be Nick Smith, uh, you know, the picks that we moved up for McGowan's, um, you know, call me crazy. I think I would rather just have Tari Eason. Tari Eason looks so good in Summer League. Let's, <laughs> we, don't do this to me. He looks so good in that, for the Houston so far. I mean, <laughs> such an interesting player, like, um i yeah i completely agree um I, i'm not saying it's like i don't think we can close the book on it because these guys are like 18 19 and like in five years we probably have a much better idea but if you to tell me right now would you have, rather have mcgowan's and nick smith jr or would you rather have tari eason i know what my answer would be <laughs> but but yeah let's not let's not we can't go there come on this is <laughs> yeah this is the, this is the heartbreak coming out i can't help myself yeah um Last guy to touch on, and then we're going to move on. Amari Bailey, kind of a quiet game for him tonight. Nine points, I think three rebounds, two steals. Um, continuing to like look quite good in defense. Uh, got fouled. But is it safe to the shot just doesn't look comfortable for him right now? Like the three-point shot, definitely not. And even the mid-range shot, it kind of looks like, for me, the length is really bothering him. The extra length, extra athleticism. He was always someone who kind of faded away on his mid-range shot in college, but He's had some really bad misses. Like they've not looked particularly close to jump shots uh, to going in yet. And it's just kind of weird to be like a six, five guard. I don't think he's a point at all. There was one possession where he like, he actually like began to run pick and roll. And you're like, Oh look, he's actually going to do it. Like he's, he's going to have some on ball reps. And then he just got into the mid range and someone like reached in, swiped the ball away, turn over, run out, open dunk the other end. And you're like, okay, that's why. He doesn't just initiate offense from the top by himself because the handle is just not tight enough. Um, so yeah, some some concerns for me still about whether he's actually a point guard. Like he said, his int- favorite player watching was like Shea Gilgis Alexander, who again isn't necessarily a traditional point guard. It's like a shifty scoring mid range driver, and I think that's maybe what Amari Bailey might be more than more than a point guard. Oh, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that that was a. Uh... That was the guy he looked up to. That that does make sense. I mean, because he does, he gets the ball to the rim, doesn't yeah. always go in. Uh, you know, we are a team that is just dying for any type of rim pressure. Um, you know, it's hard to separate in the summer league situation because, like, you know, I know he wants to get his shots up. Maybe the worst case of tunnel vision on the team. I had no idea that, you know, he was considered even kind of a point guard because yeah. Mark and I, uh, we've been playing a game pretty much counting how many passes he makes that travel more than like two feet that aren't just like, you know, direct. Oh, okay. This, this blew up. Let me pass the hot potato. Yeah, I, I agree. Definitely wide to score much more. So it's like normally when you're a rookie and you're a guard, you come in, you're like, yeah, I'll get my teammates involved. And, but to be to his credit, like I think he's actually attacked the room really well. And the Hornets, the summer league have had a lack of guys who can like create space and actually create advantage in situations and he's done that well. He's drawn fouls and got to the rim. Uh, but I, I, I think he's a really interesting player. I'm intrigued to see how they use him in Greensboro this year, um, if they're going to use him as a point guard. I, I don't think they will. I think they're going to play as an off guard, um, kind of a downhill driver. 
Um, and yeah, if that if that shot comes along with his ability to get downhill and attack the rim, then there's a, there's a player there, absolutely. Um, I, I like his size. I think he's really strong for guys like a freshman, 18, 19 years old. He's he's like definitely plays with that level of NBA physicality, and as he's had some good defensive moments too, like active hands, gets in the passing lanes, got himself out in the lane for dunks at times. So yeah, not his best game tonight, but kind of like I feel like we're getting a feel for what Amari Bailey is as a player. Yeah, and uh, like you said, really interesting player. Uh, you know, you just don't really see many people play now. Ever since that SGA thing kind of blew my mind because you know you never really hear guys say that but that's almost you know like looking up to Steph for shooting because Shea is just like the best guard finisher in the league by a mile when you count in frequency as well yeah okay that's it for simile recap Hornets have two games left I believe they're playing the Pelicans and they're playing someone else the Blazers the Blazers oh good the Scoot Henderson Scoot Henderson less Blazers um okay interesting that I do you think they get a win in either of those games <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say no. I'm just gonna lean into it. Why not? No, I. I don't think they will. I, this team is. What What do you put this down? Do you put this down to the players, the coaching, the lack of quality of this team? Keep in mind now. I don't think they've had a game where they finished. They finished within ten points of the Spurs. That's it. Other than that, it's been like blowouts for every other game. What What do you generally put it down to, or do you think it's just a combination of the both? I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it mainly on coaching. I mean. This looks like summer league of like 10 years ago where like now you watch other teams and like they're actually running sets. Like, I mean, the Warriors offense looked good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the level of coaching, I, I think, look, I, I see fans freaking out being like, how's the coaching so poor? I, I think it's hard to know if it is the players. Like, we just talked about some of the players, some of the third-year players. Their playing decision-making is not helping any coach, all right? I, I find it really hard to know whether it is coaching. I, I've heard some stuff. You know, there was a David Thorpe podcast um, where he talked about a sort of True Hoop podcast. He talked about a little bit uh, some stuff that he heard around some of the coaching at some league this year, which wasn't great. Um, but I all I will say is if, if the coaching isn't good, the team will know, right, fans? You don't need to sit there going, how on earth is this happening? The, the team will be fully aware. Mitch Kupchak, Steve Clifford, they're watching these practices. They're watching these coaches in inside, inside out. They're not going to change They're not gonna change a summer league coach if they're struggling in one season. That's just not going to happen, <laughs> all right? But they will know, and it will get noticed. And I'm sure whatever needs to be said or done, whatever, will, will be done. That's all I'll say. And if it's not the coaching, they might be watching this. You know, these guys saying, the staff are coaching as well as any coach would do it, but these guys are just not executing and the message isn't getting through, then that's a massive red flag about the players. So either way, it's not a good thing. Um, I guess a lot of fans generally kind of want to pretend that the players are great and the coach is letting them down, so it's easier to blame the coach. Uh, I, I really think it's probably a combination. I think this team could have been coached better. You would hope that because they played California Classic, they would be have more reps than some of these other teams and they still look as lost. I mean, just... So much over dribbling, it's infuriating. Uh, but I, I, the lack of shooting for this team, Kai Jones can't shoot. James Booknight hasn't shot the ball well. Nick Smith has at times, but the, this team has just struggled for offense so so much. And the decision making on both ends 
has been really poor. I think the defense has improved, but before the second half tonight, the Lakers, it was just appalling. So I, I don't know. I, fi- I find it really hard to judge between the two, but whatever it is, all I know is the answer is not, is worrying. Like people should be concerned about this. Yeah, I didn't want to let the players off the hook because, like, I don't think if we had Greg Popovich coaching this team, I still don't think, you know, with the talent, I don't think we're a very good team. Yeah. Okay, let's change lanes a little bit. Um, PJ Washington, still unsigned, still sent out there in restricted free agency. Are you concerned? Are you are you not worried about it? Do you think it's going to be resolved soon? Where are you at? What's your thoughts with PJ? Um, I think if this was another team, I really wouldn't be, wouldn't be concerned. Cause I mean, I feel, you know, restricted free agency always takes a long time. I've seen people throw out like, you know, that he might take the qualifying offer. If you look up like NBA players that have accepted the qualifying offer, the third link you get is a bleacher report article about Greg Monroe from 10 years ago. It just doesn't commonly happen. I just, uh, I hope there's no bad blood. I mean, I hope we just get the deal done and you know, like what, what, what's like the most you would pay PJ? Mm, that's a question you probably shouldn't ask me because it'll anger people. Um, <laughs> I would be hard pressed to pay PJ more than probably like 14 million per year. Um, which I know there's Hornets fans out there who think they should like sign him to 17, 18 and just say fine. And I think if the Hornets are willing to sign him to 17 or 18 million per year, I think the deal would be done already. Honestly, I think he'd be back here. I don't think they are. Um, and I think, like like you say, taking the qualifying offer for P.J. Washington is risky. Like, Miles Bridges is coming off whatever year he's just had. Okay, there's risk associated with that. But P.J. Washington could be the backup power forward playing 13 minutes per game this year. And if he thinks that he's going to take the qualifying offer, play maybe 13 minutes per game off the bench behind Miles Bridges to start power forward, and then go into free agency next year and get a deal above 15 million per year. That's just not happening. Um, now, Miles Bridges is probably a different situation. I think he always had a high ceiling. You can, you know, he had a, a higher peak than PJ Washington, I think, has ever had during that last kind of 18 months in Charlotte before he last played. Um, but yeah, for, for me, for PJ Washington, I, I, I'm actually pretty happy with how the team are playing it here. I think they're saying, we value it this. This is what we offer you. If you think you can get more, go get that elsewhere. And, you know, keep us keep, you know, keep us up to date in talks. Let us know how things are going. We want you back here, but th- we can't pay you more than this. Yeah, I mean, so you propose pretty much four years, 56 million. I think that is more, more than fair for PJ. I mean, I don't, like, you know, I heard like the 72 getting thrown around good luck i do feel bad for him i mean the market just completely dried up around him but that's you know why restricted free agency is a thing it's not there to help the players no not at all and again i have no like as long as pj does end up coming back to charlotte on a fair deal like if he does take the qualifying offer i think i probably if you had two players taking the qualifying offer in the same summer who play the same position like that would that would raise some concerns, right? Like if that were to end up being the case. And for me, then that would be like the new owners being like, why are we committing long-term money to a team that just finished with like 28 wins or whatever the number of wins was? Like why why are we trying so hard and overpaying for guys to to come back to this team? Um, 
So I do think that was a factor. I, I don't think there's new owners want to be locking guys up just like long-term money. I think if the current ownership was in place, maybe a deal would have been shut out by now. But I can understand a little bit of hesitancy. Like if, if we want to resign guys, it has to be for fair value. We can't be having these Nick Batum, Marvin William, Cody Zeller scenarios where we're signing guys to extensions like with the, oh, if they get better, then they'll be worth it because people don't always get better. It's not always the case. And with the crowd of front court on the roster next year, I don't think PJ is going to have a better statistical year next season than he did last last year. So I'm pretty chilled about how it's all playing out. I'm hopeful they will be able to come to a resolution in a, you know, Grant Williams got 13.5 per year. I think that kind of sets the market if you're PJ Washington. Yeah, I agree. I think I would go, I'd go to 16 because, you know, four for 64, I don't think it's terrible. But I do love that point you made about the uh, Cho era with all those extensions. Because, like, on their face, other than Batum, I don't think any of those were egregious contracts at the time. But, yeah, when you throw in Gilchrist, Zeller, Williams, those start to add up pretty fast. And I could see, could see PJ falling into that. I just, you know, I think with the cap going up, four for 64, uh, like, you know, if it doesn't work out, we could fetch, you know, Mitch Kupchak loves his second round picks. You can get something for him next offseason. Maybe. But, like, if he's averaging nine points and four rebounds, I don't know. Like, do people want to be taking on that, that extra money, that salary with the way the the aprons changing and the new CBA coming in. I, I don't know. Um, so that's, look, I, I still hope PJ comes back to Charlotte because I think I, I want this team to be good next year. No more tanking, no more gap year. I want this team to be good. I want it to be competing. I think PJ Washington helps that, uh, but I want him back on a fair price. And if, if no one else in the market was paying PJ Washington that money, why would it make sense for the Charlotte Hornets as restricted free agents to just go ahead and do that without being forced to like, you have to play this game. <laughs> That's fair. Somewhere Raphael stone is nodding. He's like, really? I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> Dylan Brooks. I mean, this is a problem. PJ Washington's sitting here going how Dylan Brooks is getting 22 million per year. And you won't pay me 17. That's what's happening right now. Um, that contract is wow. That is something else. Yeah. Especially the fact that we're just like, Oh yeah, we have some extra money. Let's just, throw it your way and uh yeah now that pj is pretty much pigeonholed pit, uh, pigeonholed into uh the power forward spot it's kind of tough because when borrego was there he was getting run at small ball five but it looks as though clifford is not a fan of that and he can't play the three so yeah he's just you know power forward is just kind of the least sexy and you know that and shooting guard kind of like the least valued positions in the nba and yeah. his dad is his agent so didn't have the same read on the market as you know cea guys or clutch would so it's tough yeah i i think this one could drag out um like i i don't know what's going to change between now and i don't know a week from now like there's i don't see loads of cap space being opening up maybe with the the hardened lillard trades maybe like his agents waiting for something around being able to get involved in that and somehow or a team opening up cap space by being involved in those deals Maybe that's the hope here. I'm not sure what the plan is, but there are no teams that now have cap space to sign PJ Washington outright, only signing trades. Um, so maybe that's what they're trying to do now, you know, speaking to guys trying to, you know, manufacture signing trade deals. 
Hmm. Yeah, it would be pretty interested in what, you know, his trade value is. I'm sure, it'd be pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, closing thoughts. NBA Cup. Tim, are you excited? How are you feeling about the NBA Cup? Are you a supporter? Uh, yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't get the reason that people are hating on it. Even if it doesn't work out, I mean, just one extra game, you know, over the course of the season. I think it could be pretty cool. What do you think? I'm very excited. I have to say, like, the Hornets winning the NBA championship is so unlikely. The Hornets winning the NBA Cup is much more likely because it's single league knockout, right? In the group stages, let's say Giannis has got a bum knee and doesn't play and Jalen Brunson is ill. You know, you can top your group by fluke. And then after that, you're just basically into like two games, quarterfinals, semifinal knockouts. You can get to the final and things can go your way. You can get hot for a game. We've seen that any team can beat any game. You know, the Hornets beat the Bucks last year. They beat the Warriors last year, despite being absolutely terrible. Um, and having the chance to, to root for something, be involved in high stakes games, I think it's only a good thing. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to it. The Hornets group, are they've been drawn in group East B, which is the Milwaukee Bucks, New York Knicks, Miami Heat, Charlotte Hornets and Washington Wizards. Definitely the hardest group in the East. Um, that's what I'm saying. What do you think? Oh, yeah. The East, absolutely. I think, you know, the West, kind of the Pacific Division. Uh, you know, yes. I think that's group, is that group B or whatever in the East or West. Uh, and those are also teams that, for whatever reason, just seem to have our numbers. Like even the Wizards. Kyle Kuzma just owns the Hornets for whatever godforsaken reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the Eastern Conference. You got the NBA Finals uh, contenders from this past year in the Miami Heat. You got the Milwaukee Bucks, who got pretty much their entire roster back for next season. You got the Knicks, who look like they're on a pretty positive tra trajectory. Jalen Brunson's really turning into a star there. They made some other good moves. You know, re-signed Josh Hart. There's rumors that they might be upgrading for one of these major stars potentially here in the offseason. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, but I, I like it having it early in the season, having something to root for. I'm pumped to see it. I'm interested to see how the Charlotte Hornets treat it. If they do just treat it like any other regular season game, or will they play their starters heavier minutes, you know, in the, in that cup game, hoping to get through, uh, I mean, really intrigued. It's nice to have different stuff like 82 games is a long, long season. And anything to break that up, I'm a big supporter of. Yeah, I just, uh, the people that were like bemoaning it online, it's like, what's what's the downside? It's like, you know, we no one's paying attention that time of the season anyway. If it works, it's you just going to be cool. tradition, tradition, <laughs> 82 games. Who cares about a cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, these would be the same people that were pissed off when players started flying private. It's like, oh, that goes against what we've always done. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool, especially, you know, if we beat the Heat and the Bucks those first two games, however it goes out, man, that's just something to talk about for the next couple of days. Yeah. Something to be I excited for. I can't wait to blow the cup to the Wizards, you know, on a <laughs> Friday night. Watch Bilal Koulibaly and Johnny Davis drop 35 points. <laughs> and we're going, you... how did we do that? Would you rather have Book Knight or Johnny Davis? Uh, oh, my God. That is a <laughs> terrible question. Um, Johnny Davis looked pretty good in this first summer league game. Um Honestly, honestly, it would be Johnny Davis. It really would. Um, I know he wasn't good in the G League or the real NBA or Summer League last year, but he is more of a two-way player than Book Knight. He's a better defender. Uh, he's definitely, I think, a you know a 
a better clutch guy. And I think I would that if, I, if the Warriors would do that trade, I think I'd be, I think I'd be up. Is is that an overreaction? Am I taking that too far? Would you do it? <laughs> I don't, I, can, I've been thinking about it because like, you just broke my brain. <laughs> it's just because like even if Davis is equally as bad, at least it seems like he cares more. So it's like if he's gonna suck, I'd at least rather a you know, guy break a sweat while he sucks. Yeah, and like he could just reinvent himself as like a defensive guy who rebounds, like a. Josh Hart, like Josh Hart's a really good player. I shouldn't say that. He's not suggested he'll be that good. But yeah, I think I would. I think I would at this point. Um, he's a little bit younger. Yeah, I think I would rather. Ha- that would be a good article. The most disappointing lottery picks of the last decade. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just just us fighting against the uh, Wizards and Kings. <laughs> yeah, George Os, Papi Giannis, Johnny Davis, <laughs> James Booknight. Uh, who's that? Zayas, Zayas Smith for the Sixers. Oh, that um, that is so. Especially since it was part of the Mikel Bridges trade. Yeah, that's uh, a. That who's the Texas sl- Tech guy? Uh, he he ended up in Minnesota. He's out of the league now. Oh, Jared Culver. Jared Culver. Yeah, he'd be another one in there. Um, yeah, there's they're all yeah. There's a fun list of guys there, but yeah, we got two more games here, Tim, of summer league, then. <laughs> Then we could we just have amnesia about this. We forget how bad the Hornets are every year, and then the summer league comes around next year. And every year, I, I swear, every Hornets fan looks at the schedule and go, "We we can win summer league this year." I mean, we got <laughs> we got all these draft picks, guys. Like you know, if, if they make some progress, we could be a real factor. And then we're just a disaster. <laughs> you know, nowhere to go but up from here. We tell ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, felt like it was a little bit negative tonight, but. I'm sorry. I have, right? I have that effect on people. Yeah, it's just my, it's my default. No, I mean it was a, it was a brutal game. It's been a brutal week. Yeah. Well, no, the the Spurs Wembenyama game, like I I think Brandon Miller outplayed Victor Wembenyama in that game. Is is that a hot take to say? I, no, I, I think so. I went back. I rewatched the game this morning because uh, I had nothing better to do. Uh, no, I thought that he was. I thought he was really good. I thought that Wemby was better than people than people let on. The offense was really rough. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the defensive impact will always be there just because he's a giant human being. Uh, but like in terms of two way play, I thought Brandon Miller outplayed him, outdueled him. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think maybe just maybe just beginning to run out of steam a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I know you are because you're talking about a game that we scored sixty eight points. It's <laughs> like yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Okay, right, Tim. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Thank you, James Naji, for giving us some positive vibes in the in this Lakers game. That's the, that'll be the dub of the James Naji game. <laughs> Four points, six rebounds, two blocks, zero personal fouls, minus six in twelve minutes. What a great game, James Naji. Uh, shout out to him, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.